0: Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And find with me verse 34 and 35. Verse 34 and 35. We want us to think this morning as we have observed the Lord's table as next week we get ready for baptism Sunday and have a host of young people getting baptized next week. We're excited about that. And uh, then the week after that, we'll have deacon commissioning and deacon dinner to follow with their spouse kids after that, and so we're really excited about the month that God has uh, lined out for us uh, according to his will and time uh, and his purpose, and so today we want to, thinking about, we want to think about loving one another, and just as Jesus has loved us, and so I want you to name that tune with me. I'm going to say a line, if you've got it, just spout it out. If you know the name of the song, spout it out. And uh, better yet, if you know who uh, recorded it, you can spout that out as well. So here's the first line. Are you ready? Are Are you ready? If you are, raise your hand high. All right, here you go. There's nothing you can do that can't be done. You need another line, right? All right, here's your second line. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Put those together. Nothing you can say, but you can't learn how to play the game. I'm not acknowledging freebird, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I just don't know what that is. And so nothing you can say but you can uh, but you can learn how to play the game. Uh, let me, anybody yet? All you need is love from our Love is all you need. That is exactly, exactly right. All you need is love, Beatles, 1967, written by John Lennon. Uh, Paul McCartney had some deal worked out with everything John wrote. They gave credit to Paul as well, but uh, all you need is love. It it goes on like this. You would have got it after this. It's easy, right? So that last uh, line of that first verse, it's easy, Listen to the words. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Listen to these group of guys from England in the middle of a, a world that was in chaos. Every bit as bad as right now. People dying in the streets. People warring. People fighting. A whole generation of people rebelling. Listen to what... Uh, Lennon wrote, McCartney wrote, Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. Last verse. There's nothing you can know that isn't known. Nothing you can see that isn't shown. There's nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. And then here's their course. All you need is love, right? All you need is love. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. How many of you have got the melody or tune in your mind now, right? Preacher, why do you do that? I'm a Bible man. I'm a Bible woman. I hate when you use a secular song to introduce a sermon. Why do you do that? Because I believe that God is Lord over the entire world. And I believe that there are people who are searching for answers. And they look for all, they look for the answers in all the wrong places. Lennon and McCartney were on something brilliant. They were looking at the culture and they were looking at the world from over there in England, and they were saying this world is messed up. And we we need to love each other better. That, that's what they were saying. Now what they did not have to offer, and what they did offer, they offered this universal type of, forgive me, hippie-ish type of free love antidote, right? Love anyone at all times, no matter what, and they really didn't define what love is. I would say to you that the Bible clearly teaches us what is love and who is love a matter of fact, the Bible, the Lord himself describes that he's the very definition of love. He says that God is love. Back in um, around the 2000 era, a well-known psychiatrist came out. He said one of the reasons that suicide rate is growing in America at an unprecedented rate, the reason we have more teenagers than ever committing suicide is because we as a culture do not know what it is to love, and we do not know what it is to be loved. This wasn't a Christian psychologist. This is a psychologist who was working at Boston University, and in his study and in in, uh, all of his interviews and in all of his research, he summarized that what the world need more than anything, what human beings needed more than anything, was to be able to love and and that they would uh, be able to be loved. We live in a time that love just seems to be hard to find. It just seems that uh, we're living in a, a world of chaos. But my brothers and sisters, I would say to you, that ought not surprise us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason it should not surprise us is for this reason. Because the scripture says that in the last days, because of iniquity shall abound, Listen to what it says. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. There's going to be this growing lawlessness and there's going to be this fleeting love. Growing lawlessness and a fleeting love. Because sin or iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Someone once said, the most loving thing we can do for others is to love God more than we love them. For when we love God most, We will love others best. I want you to listen as we read together verse 34 and 35. And I want us to focus in on Jesus saying, Love one another just as I have loved you. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says in verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the context of this passage is extremely, extremely important. They are in the upper room. It is the night of his betrayal. He is revealing to him who he is. He's making no bones about it. He is revealing to them that one of you is about to betray me, and we know later we'll read that it's Judas who betrays the Lord. We know that he says to his disciples... I'm going to give you a new commandment. In reality, it wasn't a new commandment at all, but there was something new about the way Jesus was not only saying it, but what he meant about it. We are called by the Lord to love one another. A matter of fact, the greatest attribute of all of God's attributes is his attribute of love. And if you say, why is that? Because It is one of his most communicable attributes, even though it's hard for us to understand because oftentimes unless Christ is the Lord of our lives and we're growing and maturing in him and dying to self, we have no concept of the depth of God's love, right? You have to know him and be growing in him and dying to self every day and becoming more like Christ to begin to understand, man, is that how much God actually loves me? So that in return, we can love one another. And so this morning, I want us to just walk through verses 34 and 35 as a faith family. And I want to call our church to love like we've never loved before. You should love God more than you've ever loved God. You should love your neighbor more than you've ever loved your neighbor. You should love one another more than you've ever loved one another. And you say, why is that? Because God is love and Christ commands us to love one another in that particular way. So how do we go about that? How do we do that? Well, we love one another just the way that Jesus loved us. I want you to write this down. Number one, as we love one another sacrificially. As we love one another sacrificially. Listen to what he says in verse 34. He says, a new commandment. I give to you a new commandment I give to you. Look back with me at verses 1 through 3 of chapter 13 so you can capture this context and why it's so significant that Jesus would say, you guys need to love one another just the way that I have loved you. And then we begin to understand what this sacrificial love of Christ looks like. He says in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Now, are you thinking about what's going on? Passover, he's assembled in the upper room, and God has fully revealed to Jesus what is going on in his life, who he is, where he's going, what's about to unfold. And listen to what verse 1 says. He knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, he is completely surrendered to offer his life as a sacrifice, as a demonstration that he was going to love those whom the Father entrusted to him and he was going to love them To the very end. Jesus demonstrates for you and I what this loving one another sacrificially is all about. Why does Jesus say this is a new commandment? Love's not new. A matter of fact, you should try to reconcile this if you can in your mind this morning to understand the extent of what Jesus was saying and what he was trying to teach his disciples. Because in Leviticus 19.18, The Lord said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is not a new command, right? So when Jesus states that, he's not stating something new Uh, when he's saying you should love your neighbor as yourself. He's repeating something that had already been spoken in the Old Testament law. See, the Old Testament taught us to love. What is new about this is this. The new part is that Jesus said, you're to love as I have loved you. You don't love the way you love. You don't love with your limitations. You are to love the way that I have loved you. Never before had the world known love like this, the love that Jesus Christ showed as he offered himself on the cross, as he rose from the grave, as he willingly bore all of our sin debt in full. And this is radically new for the disciples. It's Completely different for John and Peter and the disciples to hear this. This new commandment I give to you, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So how do we do that? How do we love one another sacrificially? Can we die on the cross? Can we cover someone's sins? Can we offer ourselves as an atonement? We can't possibly do that. In some figurative ways, we're called to die on the cross, right? But all of that is not through uh, imitation. And so here's what I'm not teaching you today. I'm not teaching you that the Bible says we should love one another, and so therefore you should just go imitate Jesus and then try to imitate his love without the capacity to do that, right? That's, That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that, it has to be something much more than just mere imitation of what he was commanding them or saying to them to do. It is through participating in his life as we abide in Christ and he sacrificially loves others through us and his life is working in us and therefore it is working out of us. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, let me give you two scriptures. They're not on the screen, but write them down and you can look them up. 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. Listen to what Jesus says about abiding in the light. He says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. You have this figurative speech of abiding. So what Jesus was saying is this: I have come and I am the glorious image. I'm this representation, I'm this icon, I, I am this thing that represents God perfectly and gloriously, and I am light. That's what Jesus was saying. And Jesus was saying, whoever loves his brother demonstrate, demonstrates that he is abiding in the light of Christ. And he continues this theme. If you flip over just a page and you want to read it, John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. One verse, one short sentence, he uses this phrase, abide, abide in me. He uses it three separate times because he's saying... You as the branch cannot bear fruit unless you are connected properly to the vine. What is he saying? When Jesus says, I have a new commandment to give you, it's this. Don't try to love one another if you don't have the love of Christ in your heart. The only way that you're going to be able to love one another appropriately, the way that he's calling us to in this new way, is through this new covenant That Jesus has made available to us by offering himself as a ransom for our sins by dying on the cross. Isn't that refreshing? I don't know about you guys, but my love always falls short. Does yours? When I just try to love somebody in the flesh or because I think it's the thing to do or because I know the Bible tells me so, but I'm not necessarily abiding in the Lord, that love is just not as real as it is when I'm abiding in The Lord, and the Lord is abiding in me. When the Holy Spirit of God is working in us and out of us, we can say, you know what? We can love one another in a way that the Lord has commanded us in this new way because it is the love of Christ that is being manifested, not imitated, but manifested in and through our life. So in order to abide in Christ, we must first belong to Christ. This is crucial today, church. If you're listening to your pastor, say amen. You can't abide if you don't belong. You can't abide in Jesus. You can try all you want to, but you first have to belong. There may be somebody who comes by my house, they want to sleep for the night, maybe while I should let them in. I'm probably not going to let a stranger in and put them over in the apartment if I know absolutely nothing about them, right? I'm probably going to want to know something about them and get to know them before I'm going to feel safe about opening up my home. But if some of you came and said, Pastor, I'm broke down over here, or our house caught fire, or something's gone on, and and we need a place to live. Do you care to let us stay here for the night? I would say, no, I, I know you, right? I would... More than welcome you in. What are you saying, pastor? You cannot abide unless you belong. And in order to belong, you must have relationship. And so, uh, friends, we will never love other people the way Jesus loves if we've not been born again. It's the same way as praying. We'll never pray the way we are supposed to pray if we've never been born again. We'll never share the gospel the way God intends for us to share the gospel if we've never been born again. You'll always struggle with a sin in your life if you've never been born again. And so what does that mean? It means we must believe that there is a God and that he speaks. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What does it mean to be born again? I believe God is, and I believe God speaks. How do I know that God speaks? He has given us his word, and so... I believe that there is a God. I'm not here by accident, no matter what a scientist may say. I think it takes a lot more unreasonable grasping to believe that uh, all that we see and the beauty that we are able to behold has just occurred by accident. Would someone say amen? The universe shouts and screams that there is this intelligent designer. And so how do I begin to be born again? I have to realize there is a God who has worked in creation. He knows me, he loves me, and he has spoken. And then we believe we are a personal sinner and that our sin separates us from God. My brothers and sisters, you will never love the way God wants you to love if you don't acknowledge your own personal sin in your life. But the moment that you begin to recognize and confess your own sin and Jesus comes into your heart, He will revolutionize your your capacity to love in the way that Jesus loved. And so we believe we're a personal sinner and that our sin separates us from God. We believe that we must repent or turn from our sin. Believing Jesus offered himself as a perfect sacrifice and substitute for our sin. He endured God's wrath toward our sin on the cross. We believe that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the grave and is alive today. And we call upon Jesus in faith asking him not to just give a ticket to heaven so that we escape the horrors of hell. And I do believe that heaven is splendid and I believe hell is awful and there's no, um, there's no words to describe how great God is and how splendid heaven is and there's no words to describe how awful hell is. But I want to say to you the reason that we are born again is because Jesus is Lord. He is the absolute master. And he has commanded that if we die in our sins, we're going to die apart from God. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying this. To love one another sacrificially. We have to be participants of the Lord's presence in our life. And the only way that you are going to have the Lord's presence in your life is not by attending Sunday school or coming to worship when it's convenient or by serving in a ministry or by trying to pick up your Bible and read it. It is when you surrender to the Lord and you understand that God is speaking to me personally and he wants to be this Lord of my life and he can be my treasure. When Jesus is your treasure, you can love people sacrificially. If you believe it, say amen. And so we begin by loving one another sacrificially. But look at verse 34. Jesus said, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. The Lord says that we should love one another through service. Now, I want to say something on the on the beginning end here. In June and July, we preached eight weeks about service. And we did talk about Uh, ministries and we talked about serving one another with our hands and in in a lot of different ways through ministry this is not what Jesus is demonstrating nor is it what Jesus is speaking of when he says just as I have loved you you also are to love one another in mere Christianity C.S. Lewis writes this He said, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you love your neighbor. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets in life. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. And if you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking that person even more. But if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. What is he saying? When Christ is in you and the characteristics of the Holy Spirit are present, you have the ability to love one another and you love one another without limits and you love one another just the way they are. You don't put demands on people and say, well, you got to look this way, you got to act this way, you got to talk this way, you got to be this way in order for me to really love you because Unless you do that, I really can't relate. That, that is not what Jesus does. What does Jesus do? Loving one another through service is seen in the life of Christ as humility. As humility. Look, look with me at verse 4 in chapter 13. It says that Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments taking a towel, he tied it around his waist, and he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Peter, don't you love Peter? Do I have any Peters in the house? Will you just confess and raise your hand? Listen to what Peter said. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, Peter, if I did not wash you, you have no share with me. And then Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Watch the connection, preacher. I thought you said this wasn't a ministry. I thought you said that this wasn't serving. wasn't uh, Serving one another wasn't about what we do with our hands and what, what we do with our feet. You're missing it. That's why our, our brothers and sisters who make this a church ordinance are missing this. Jesus doesn't say, do this. What Jesus says is, I have given you an example. And here is the example, verse 16. A servant is not greater than the master, nor is the messenger greater than the one who sent him. What is he saying? He's saying, loving one another through service is seen, first of all, in humility. What was Jesus doing, washing the disciples' feet? He was demonstrating How love is rooted and grounded in humility. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians 13. Just by way of entertaining your pastor. How many of you had 1 Corinthians 13 read or sang or printed at your wedding? Will you hold your hands high? How many of you don't even remember what you had at your wedding? Raise your hands high. There you go. There's there's the truth of it, right? Right, he says this, love is not easily provoked, right? Love, uh, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, love keeps no records of, of wrong. Why is that? Because Paul was saying the heart that knows Christ is a heart that is steeped in humility. So, loving one another through service is seen in humility. It's seen in confession. We can admit when we have wronged someone. And if you're not willing to go to somebody you have wronged and make it right, you don't want to be a committed Christian. And the whole body of Christ will be incapacitated because of your unwillingness to love the way Jesus would love. A matter of fact, most of the bitterness within the church in America and the West has nothing to do with doctrinal differences. It can be more uh, directly related to a fundamental lack of the way that God calls us to love one another and for us to be unwilling to accept the humility that demands love. Why can a person not go and confess to someone else that they wronged them? Why can they not say, I blew that? It is because there's no humility in their heart. Why is there no humility in their heart? Because they don't know Christ. Are you tracking And so Jesus is saying, love one another through service. Just as I love you, you also are to love one another. And so this through service is seen in humility, confession, and forgiveness. Another way that we love one another through service and we're loving the way that Christ loves is that we are willing to forgive one another and serve one another in forgiveness. These are attitudes that lead to demonstrable actions that are deeply rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. What is forgiveness, confession, humility? It is how the body of Christ is meant to function and to get along. So can I say to you today, if you are struggling like your pastor sometimes struggles, being a strutting rooster peacock Christian, hello, will you turn from that? Today, will you say, God, give me a heart of humility. Give me a heart of confession. Give me a heart of forgiveness. May the very attitude of the Godhead be present in me. And love one another through service. And then Jesus concludes this verse 35 in this teaching on loving one another as I have loved you. By saying we should love one another not only through service and not only through sacrifice, but... As we love one another steadfastly. What does that mean? Steadfastly. It's not a word we use every day. It's a biblical word, but it's not necessarily a word that you and I use every day. And I would say to you that what he's meaning about here is this. He's saying we should love the Lord and we should love one another loyally, faithfully, consistently, to the end, love one another. You say, how do you know that that is what Jesus is speaking about here in verse 35 when he says by this what by the way that we love one another people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You know what you know what John is saying here? Listen to this. He's saying be a John and not a Judas. He's saying be a John and not a Judas. You say how do you understand it? How do you come to that recognition of that's what the Bible is saying there in verse 35? Read with me, chapter 13, verse 21. It says, After these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, so we know that's John, right? He's just not saying, well, I asked Jesus. But he refers to himself as one whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, John, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who are you talking about? If one of us, twelve, was going to betray you, who are you talking about? Now Jesus pulls no punches here, and listen to what Jesus said. It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. If you and I are to love one another steadfastly, we got to have something inside of us that's a lot better and greater and more than what Judas had inside of him. See, Judas did not have the ability to love Jesus completely, steadfastly, faithfully, consistently to the end. He didn't have that ability to do that. Therefore, Jesus... Judas betrayed Jesus for what he thought was position and power and money. Judas' inability to love Jesus and the other disciples demonstrated that he was, as the scripture says, a devil from the beginning and did not have the spiritual capacity to love Jesus and the disciples steadfastly. Here is what Jesus is meaning when he tells us in verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love the way I love steadfastly to the end. Aren't y'all glad that when Jesus was tied to a hitching post and he was beaten with a cat of nine tails that he just didn't die right then? Aren't you glad that when he was being uh, struck, greed, being spit upon, that Jesus didn't die right then? Aren't you glad that when they laid that cross beam on him and yelled scouring things at him and commanded him to carry his cross up Galgathus Hill, that Jesus did not just die right then? Aren't you glad that Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle every word that had ever been spoken in the Old Testament prophecy about how he would die and how his blood would atone for our sins. And then he went all the way to Calvary. He hung and he died on that cross. And Jesus did not quit. Right? He loved to the end. Preacher, how do you know that? Because even on the cross, he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the Bible says he died, and he gave up the ghost. Well, he quit then. Oh, no, he didn't. The third morning, he came forth from that grave. And he who laid down his life took it up again. He conquered our sin. He conquered death. He conquered the grave. Why is that? So that you and I can love one another. We can know him, love him. And we can love one another. Indulge me as you stand to your feet, because you have to hear the context and the weight of John's understanding of this passage and what Jesus is saying when he said to John, by this people will know that you are my disciples if you you have love for one another. Everyone knew Judas did not love Jesus, and he did not love the disciples. John writes this, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 1 John three 10. 1 John 4, 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is God is love. So all of that John is building upon Jesus saying in verse 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Do you understand how crucial... This idea of abiding in Christ and knowing him and being born again and and then abiding in him so he can love, love in you and through you is? What the scripture is testifying is if that ability is not in you. It's because Christ is not in you. I have good news for you today if Christ is not in you. Christ can be in you through the presence of his Holy Spirit. You can turn from your sin and confess your sin and believe that there is a God and that he he created you, he loves you, and that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And if you'll turn from your sin confessing that Jesus is Lord, you can be born again. It will radically change your life. Jesus will become the Lord of your life. So... I'm really confident that Jesus would say to us today, Calvary family, just as I have loved you, Calvary family, love one another. Go low. Take the position of a servant and foot wash. I'm not speaking literally, but figuratively, although I have washed people's feet before. Especially as we grow older together, as we grow better together, as we grow in maturity together, as we grow and welcome new families and singles and friends to our fellowship. Are you listening, church? If you are, say amen. Amen. Listen to the Lord then say, Love the way I have loved you. Lay down your lives, your privileges, your preferences for one another. Love your brothers and sisters across all lines of diversity. Love the rich, love the poor. Love the intelligent. Love the unintelligent. Someone say amen. Love the skinny fit uh, marathoner and love your fat preacher. Someone say amen. Love the person who's got a full, beautiful head of hair and the person that has none. Amen. Love the weakest and the oldest and the youngest. Love the disabled. Love the disabled. Know the disabled. Serve the disabled. Love the troublemakers (laughs) like we don't have troublemakers. Love the troublemakers, love the peacemakers. It is certain when you love that you cannot, we as a faith family, cannot cover or atone for anyone's sin and allow them to be born again. But the scripture says in 1 Peter we can do something like it because he says love covers a multitude of sins. Church, may we leave this place today more in love with Jesus, more in love with one another, and more in love with winning this world to Christ and showing and demonstrating to them what the love of the Father is all about. God, work in here as only you can. Work in my heart and Tracy's heart, and Levi's heart, and Jacob's heart, and Kerr's heart. Work in my family. God, work in all of our hearts here at Calvary. Work in our deacons who served us the table today. God, work in our uh, staff guys, work in their families. Lord, work in our uh, church council fellows, work in our teachers. God, work in our ministry leaders. God, work in our children, work in our students, work in our nursery. God, will you work in our hearts so that, one, we might know you, and, two, God, we might truly understand what it means to love one another as Christ has loved us. God, we need you to do it in us and through us. Just some mere sentimental, gushy act is not going to do it. Not just a spoken word of, hey, I love you. But God, will you help us to be steeped in humility and confession and forgiveness? God, will you help us to have this mind and attitude of Christ? Lord, may we love one another. And may we do it to the end. May I ask these things today in Jesus' name.